0: Welcome to Get Right for Sunday. I am Pastor Wright.
1: And I'm Vicar Hill.
0: And today we have the opportunity to look at the readings for the seventh Sunday after the Epiphany, specifically the Gospel lesson, St. Luke chapter 6. If you would like to listen to all the readings, you can do so through the reading podcast that was dropped previous to this episode. So, Vicar, this is an interesting text. Uh, it is the continuation of last week's, and we have Jesus again teaching and preaching. And he has something kind of contrary to uh, common interactions, c- common habits. Uh, he is really addressing some big things. Um, I like what you said. Um, it's, he's taking ethics and pushing them further. And I thought that was a really good way. And we, we have verse twenty-seven. And Jesus said, "But I say to you who hear, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who abuse you." So immediately, it's like, okay, I I, I get it, but why does Jesus have to say this? Isn't this what nice people should be doing anyway?
1: Well, there's a there's a take that nice people would probably be doing something very similar to this, uh, where we have bless those who curse you, pray for those who abuse you. Uh, it, it's easy, I think, for most people to really want to bless those who bless them, <laughs> yeah, uh, to return those who are who are speaking well of them, doing good for them, with good in return. But now we're pushing it a little further to bless those who who persecute you, who abuse you. Uh, And with this, we actually see uh, this play out in examples later in Luke's writing. Uh, Later in Luke chapter 23, when we have Jesus um, enduring the crucifixion, he actually does just that. He blesses those who are you know, in this case, physically abusing him on the cross where he says, Father, forgive them for they know not what they're doing. Uh, and then later, um, Luke writes in Acts chapter seven, I think it is about uh, Stephen, the first martyr mm-hmm. who, as he's being put to death, says something very similar, uh, forgive them, they don't know what they're doing. So we see this, uh, this teaching actually play out in real life. And that kind of shows um, that Jesus isn't just saying this, but he's actually living it out. And in his teaching here, he wants us to do the same.
0: No, I, I absolutely agree. And what I like about that is as we continue through this text, we continue to hear, and I like your phrase, pushing it further. It's not enough just to be nice. It's not enough just to not respond to people who hate you, curse you, and the like but actually to do something good for them or to treat them well. In fact, Jesus goes on, uh, and this is verse uh, 29, to one who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. From one who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. Give to everyone who begs from you, and from one who takes away your goods, do not demand them back. And as you wish that others would do to you, do so to them. And, of course, that's the, the golden rule. But with all of this, it, it seems hard. This person's not treating me good. And I really appreciate that you brought the crucifixion. Literally, Jesus is being beaten to death. He is dying. And he turns the other cheek. He lets them do it. In fact, uh, when he's standing on trial, um, who is it, um, Before the governor, uh, and he says, my army, if I wanted to call them down, would come and rescue me and save me. And and that's not a threat. That's not a do-you-know-who-I-am statement. But the whole idea that he, in submission to God's will and to complete and fulfill salvation, submits Mm -hmm. and allows all this. And I like what you said. He lives out what he's saying. These aren't just nice things that Jesus is supposed to say. He doesn't come, and let me give you the uh, four principles of good living. He says, do this, follow me, and I'll show you how it's done. Yeah, he, he really
1: models uh, what he's actually— yeah, he's, in, he's, a, in a horrific way, too.
0: Right. And it's not, not just that, um, oh, somebody hit me, and I, I didn't hit them back. I was nailed to the cross for your sake. And then to even push it further— Forgive them. That's a huge statement, and that's really big. And, and, you know, it goes to the golden rule. As you wish that others would do to you, do so to them. And so we get love, we get forgiveness, we get being kind, we get being nice. And those are all really, really good things that we should do. We should model the, the love of Christ, the forgiveness of Christ, the grace of Christ, the mercy of Christ. We should all model this. That's good but how does that actually work in real life? Because I've met some bad people. I've met some not nice people. And I've met just mean people. How am I supposed to deal with them when, when they they deserve all this bad stuff? That And maybe it should come for me. Why is it that we are supposed to turn the other cheek
1: well and what's even uh, what makes that probably more difficult is um, it, it's it's beyond just forgiveness and mm-hmm. showing mercy but here in verse 29 it really um, in a way the rubber meets the road where Jesus says if they if they want your stuff, give them your stuff and offer them more. I mean, and that where, that's where it gets pretty personal for each of us because, you know, especially in our American context, we own our things and those are our things. I'm going to do with them what I want. And here we have Jesus saying, if somebody wants your your cloak, give them your tunic too. Uh, and with that, that kind of, again, as we started with, kind of pushes this uh, this Christian ethic even further than than where it was at the time. Because if you think about Um, John the Baptist earlier in Luke's gospel account, uh, he has a similar saying that he uses to kind of preach this Christian ethic. Uh, he brings up the fact that if you have two tunics and mm-hmm. someone asks for one, then you give them one of your two. And that goes, okay, I, I can do that because yeah. now I still have my one. But now Jesus is saying, if someone wants your cloak, give them your tunic also. So now they have all your stuff and you're left with nothing. And that's really this, this sacrificial love, this this Christian generosity that's being brought out in these verses that can really be difficult to to swallow and then put into practice.
0: So you you said something that I would like to go back to, Christian ethic. And I really like this because you are doing this interesting compare and contrast. Uh, What I brought out would be like a natural ethic. Somebody wrongs me, I owe it to wrong them. I have that right. I have that privilege. And through what we're hearing with Christ, this all changes, and we have this Christian ethic. Not only am I wronged, but now I'm praying for this person who wronged me. Uh, This person stole from me. Now I'm giving them more, and so on and so forth. And uh, it really helps us see we're to be different in the world. We don't have a natural ethic, or, or we actually do. And it's a sinful, broken, corrupt ethic. It's the eye for the eye, the tooth for the tooth. Uh, Do good unto those who do good to you. And I I think that what Jesus is laying out is hard. And I appreciate that. Because nowhere does he say in this, and I appreciate it, do this perfectly. Because as you pointed out, he lives this out for our sake and models this for our sake. But he's the one that completes it. Because as we go further into this, um, and again, Jesus is just kind of backing up what he's saying. Uh, if you love those who love you, what benefit is it to you? Even the heathens, the unbelievers, they do that. You're something different than them. And I hear him say, act like it. And that, that that's hard because it's easy and lazy to, to just fall into our sinful nature. But jumping to verse 37 where it gets hard again. Judge not, and you will not be judged. Condemn not, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pre- pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. And I really like this. Again, I think it's hard for for a couple reasons which we'll get into. But this forgiveness. Forgive and you'll be forgiven. Judge not and you will not be judged. Give and it will be given to you. When we start looking at this, we can't look to ourselves and look at this as an if-then statement or look at it as an action on our part where we lord it over or uh, pridefully do this or that or justify our actions or not justify our actions. It really goes back to our relationship with God. Who's the ultimate judge? It's God. Who does the forgiving? It's God. And it helps us be to put ourselves in our proper place under God's rule, under God's act. Because he has forgiven us, why would we not forgive others? Mm -hmm. If I take just a second to think about the depths of my sin, who am I to hold sin against anybody else? And that immediately goes back to all the other things we were talking about. Um, if somebody is wronging me, have I not wronged God worse? And then we start really trying to put this in perspective. And, and what is our perspective in relation to God?
1: mm mm-hmm. And I like how you went uh, perspective on that, because um, Luther, in the large catechism, really kind of goes to to great lengths to make sure you don't look at this idea of forgiveness as a conditional um, relationship, where I have to do this Mm -hmm. in order that I'm forgiven, Um, but more of this perspective, and I kind of like how you put that. Well, I always like it when Luther agrees with me. Oh, I know. It's it's convenient when that happens. Uh, but this this matter of perspective of the the depth of forgiveness mm-hmm. that we have received, that's that's why we forgive others. Uh, and to do anything other than that is is pretty <laughs> hypocritical, to say the least. But but it's putting that's putting yourself in that that right frame of mind uh, to to try to understand all that's been done for us.
0: Absolutely, and that is good, and it should be motivating. And I mean that in a good way. It, motivating through faith. You are a new creation in baptism, and we do these good works. We look to uh, deal with our enemies, with people we don't like or people who don't like us. We're motivated to deal with them in good ways. But then there's this big thing, and it's 37. Judge not.
1: You know that that's one of the um, the biggest critiques of the church that that you know I hear. You probably hear, hear it as well as as our listeners is that Christians, people who go to church, are too judgmental.
0: Yep, absolutely. I because I well I was gonna go off on a tangent, and um, with that, I think this is really interesting because we can go the narrow. A way of looking at judgment and the wide way of looking at judgment. Um, narrow can be individual things. I deem this wrong. I deem um, when my dry food touches my wet food, that is wrong and is bad. And whoever serves me food like that is condemned. Um, you know, And then the wide sense would be the actual condemnation to hell. Like I have the power then to exercise the ability to send you
1: to eternal
0: damnation,
1: or I would say even uh, uh, judge the heart of someone. Oh, I yeah. think kind of goes into that because. Um, I mean that—that's kind of the—the idea of the visible versus the invisible Mm. church, Uh, and the invisible church are are those who believe in Christ as their Lord, Uh, but we don't know who that is. Mm. Uh, We we don't have the power. We don't have Superman X-ray vision to look into the heart and and see who truly has faith and who does not, uh, which therefore leaves us in a position where we're not really. We're not really the one who can make that call as to uh, the faith that someone may or may not have.
0: So, I want to put you in a a situation, and with what you just said, which I absolutely agree with and and think is right, appropriate, and salutary. But um, we have a situation where you, in the relatively near future, will be ordained and you'll have a congregation. God will place people into your pastoral care. How do you deal with them? In the work that has been placed for you, in front of you, how do you deal with them without knowing their faith, without knowing their motivation, without knowing what is behind their actions, their words, their so on and so forth? If you don't know them, why are you communing them? Why are you allowing them in the church building? How do we deal with that? How do you not judge?
1: Well, I think uh, with that, there are... Wait, let me me take some notes. Yeah, yeah, make sure you get this one. (laughs) There are certain indicators that you can look for, um, and mainly, I I kind of go, first of all, to uh, the fruits of faith. Mm -hmm. Uh, Faith should be producing good works, um, and and one of those good works would obviously be coming to church. So that's that's something that we can count as a, a fruit of faith. Um, And we would kind of start there, and and then we would look at okay, is this faith uh, living and active? Mm -hmm. Is there some kind of uh, demonstration of belief? faith, life in Christ that is going on, uh, or is this someone who who may just, you know, come in the building, uh, leave, they don't want to talk to anyone, they don't want to yeah. do anything, they don't want to do anything uh, for other people outside of Sundays, well, then we might have to um, talk to that person and see, you know, what's going on, why aren't they engaging with the church at large uh, on a deeper level than just attending church. So I think looking at the fruits of their faith is kind of a big part of it. But with that, you know, we don't have the power, like I said, to, to kind of um, determine who mm-hmm. has real living and active faith and who doesn't. But with that, there are certain indicators that we should be seeing uh, for someone who's, who's truly living in faith.
0: I, I absolutely agree with that. And the only thing I would really add to it, and you kind of alluded to it, not only with fruits of faith, Actions and things like that. But uh, the idea that when people make confession, and this is not, I confess my sins, which again would be a a fruit of faith, but I confess this faith. And um, one of the things, and I'm trying to remember if it was a professor or a uh, pastor who told me that as a pastor, you are a sucker and you believe what people tell you. (laughs) And I always thought that was really interesting because um, we are sinners. And just because I confess a faith, I might not necessarily live it out. What am I going to believe? And and I I liked what you said. You're coming to church. Why are you coming to church? Well, it's because you're a sinner and you know what's offered there. And again, this goes to confession, not only in word, uh, but also deed. And I, I really like that, because then we actually do get to make some uh, qualified judgment statements. And when I say that, especially through the pastoral office, uh, the pastor can never judge, are you good enough? And that sounds weird, and especially with, with uh, being having the charge leveled at us in, in general Christianity that we're too judgmental. Uh, we actually do have a standard that we're to live out. We're supposed to be forgiving. We're supposed to be loving. We're supposed to be accepting. Uh, we're supposed to be doing all these things, and we, should, we shouldn't. We should We struggle in this because we are sinful, because we are corrupt. We, too, uh, need the forgiveness that we preach and, and tell people about. And, and with the, this judge not— I really love dealing with this because there's absolute judgment statements that need to be made, but why are you making this? Is the judgment, your actions are wrong because I said so?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Are your, And that's very pharisaical, that's very law-based, and now I'm judging that law? Or is it, God said, don't do this, and you continue to do it? Now, I'm standing on God's word, and I'm pointing out what God said. Who's doing the judgment? And I always think that's interesting because uh, the few times that I've had to uh, tell people, whatever you're doing is wrong, why are you judging me? And with a little smirk, I always open the scripture and say, thus says the Lord, because if it was my judgment. There's no grounds.
1: Well, going back to the question you mentioned a minute ago, a minute ago, am I good enough? Yeah. Uh, and with that, we should all rightly answer the question. Nope. Never. <laughs> uh, none of us are good enough right. for anything when it comes to salvation or you know faith or what have you. And so we all have the same answer. No but i have a a lord and savior who is good enough who loves me died for me and that's why as the the community of christians the, the church that we are we in, we're in this 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 kind of tension of that you've been describing here that we're not supposed to go out and judge each yeah. other but we are told by by jesus that We have the power to withhold forgiveness, and that's not done in a way of um, you're not doing good enough, so no forgiveness for you. (laughs) It's uh, it's a recognition of you're not living in line with God's word Hmm. for your life we need to fix that. We need to repent. We need to find forgiveness. And if someone's not willing to do that, then that judgment is going to sound pretty harsh. It's going to hurt. But it's like you said, it's not us doing the judging, but using God's word to kind of uh, examine ourselves, if you will, to find that repentance and forgiveness when needed.
0: Well, it's being corrected. It's being disciplined. Nobody likes to be corrected. Nobody likes discipline. And I I think that's actually one of the reasons this phrase or this verse gets thrown out out a lot. Who are you to judge? Doesn't the Bible say, judge not or you'll be judged? And um, I I saw something. I I loved it. Um, It was that statement, um, who are you to judge? Uh, Doesn't the Bible say, uh, do not judge or you will be judged too? And the person responds, yes. Yes. And that should terrify you. Hmm. And I thought that was great because, again, it points to the power of God who has ultimate judgment. Because too often we want to, you can't judge me. Now we've made ourselves the judge. Now we've justified our own actions. And I always think it's interesting, and this is a broad brush, but a lot of people who throw that out, they're already convicted in their heart Mm -hmm. that they're doing something wrong. And they don't want other people to tell them that they're doing wrong. Or they're trying to cover for a friend, a loved one, uh, whoever. They don't want other people to be bad, and they want to justify it. And I like what you you said, though. Um, being told that this is a sinful act or action, that actually should come out of love. I want you to be in heaven. I want you to have salvation. I want you to have forever and ever Repent and have and be in this forgiveness and change your ways.
1: Mm-hmm. And I, I think there's a danger here of of mixing uh, these verses here at the end of our gospel lesson and, and kind of uh, mixing them with kind of this American idea oh, yeah. of, um, you know, I wanna, I'm going to do my thing, you do your thing, and we'll just leave each other alone, and then we won't have any problems. Right.
0: What, what is it? Uh, you do you, I'll do me, and we'll be okay.
1: Yeah, yeah, something like that. So this idea of um, uh, really then you're you're neglecting to care yeah. for your brother and sister in Christ or in the world because um, you don't want to spark any conflict or any difficult conversations. Um, but really, I think that's, that's kind of a dangerous way to look at it because when you fall into that, uh, especially among people in the church— well, now you're not um, bringing people, convicting them with mm-hmm. the law, but then bringing them back to the gospel. And that's where you kind of have this, this path of people just going more and more away from God's word because nobody's stepping in a- and, and confronting them with whatever sin they may be stuck in. Luther has a,
0: a great point on this. Um, he says, even though we may take our sin lightly, Jesus didn't. And he took it so serious. he died on the cross for your sins. Mm -hmm. And I've always appreciated that. And again, perspective, the bigness of that. And um, and, and we're called to repent. And we're also called to get others to repent. And and never from a position of power. Never from a position of lording it over people. In fact, while you're you're making that last statement, I I wanted to go back to verse 31, the golden rule. Uh, As you wish that others would do to you. Do so to them. And and I, I like that idea that you're actually supposed to act upon people. You're not a reactionary. You are proactive. You show them the good. You show them the love. You show them the mercy because that's what you want. And that's what God has done. He first loved us. He first forgave us. And we get to live in that, not only in relationship with Him, but in relationship with others. Thank you for listening to Get Right for Sunday. I know that your time is valuable, and of all the things that you could have watched or listened to, you have chosen to deepen your biblical understanding with Get Right for Sunday. Would you take a moment to give a five-star rating of this podcast on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast platform? This actually helps others to be able to find Get Right for Sunday. Again, thank you for your time, your prayers, and support.